What about those Astro? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't think we should be more excited about the Astros than we are the fact Jesus will come and reestablish his kingdom in this earth. <laughs> what I liked about the coming world champions was that almost in every game, there was a different hero. Did you notice that? All the games we won, and, and that speaks of family for me. And so I think it's a wonderful thing for our city, for our state, and now we have a world title without a little astro by it. Now that we are over the World Series, everybody is thinking about voting. Wherever you go, people saying, well, what about this? What about this? What about these polls? What about that insight? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Let me tell you something. I don't know any perfect elephants or perfect donkeys, do you? <laughs> Therefore, a lot of people have looked to me and said, well, Pastor, how can I vote? Everything is so complex. There's so many voices. There's so much confusion. You know, it's so detailed, and I don't keep up with all of those things. How do I know for whom to vote? It's not tough. It's not complicated. It's not involved of a whole lot of minutiae that you have to stay tuned to all the voices 24-7. Let me give you the basic principles upon which we are to vote. If you have a candidate who is poised, articulate, winsome, appears to be transparent and open, has a lot of experience in the political realm, and professes some kind of sincere religious belief, and they are pro-choice. Stay with me. You have someone else who's a megalomaniac, an egotist, narcissistic, a life filled with various forms of sexual immorality, is bombastic, and criticizes anybody and everybody without end who disagrees with them, and that person is pro-life. Pro-life wins every single time. Let me tell you why. 
We are in a cultural war and the sides are evenly divided, we think. There's a culture of life and there's a culture of death. All the other things that we think about and are concerned about are very real. Crime, the economy, inflation, the fact that everything we have in inflation, every dollar, everything we've accumulated is continually going down and down and down. The border, which may in the long run, in a secular sense, be the most catastrophic thing that's ever happened in the history of the United States. When your whole, whole demographics are radically changed, you become a different kind of nation. The border. International relations. Capriciousness. Spending funds. On and on and on it goes with all of those concerns. They are big things, but on the ballot, primarily and always at this moment in our history is the culture of life and the culture of death. And just parenthetically, you may have noticed that those who are for life, generally speaking, are ready to address the other major issues that we know need addressing in the United States of America. Not always, but generally speaking. Somebody says, well, you know, I don't know about politics. All these laws and rules and regulations, they don't affect anybody. America, we are part of a Holocaust event that pales what happened with Stalin and Mao and Hitler and Idi Amin and all the rest of those who have slaughtered, slaughtered millions throughout history. The United States of America, since Roe v. Wade was passed, we have been a part of the killing of over 60 million infants in the womb of their mother. God will never honor, cannot really bless, and will not powerfully use a nation like this. It cannot be. We want it to be. We wish it would be. God cannot use a nation that has had this agenda. The safest place a child should be would be in, natural, in nature in the womb of the mother. One out of every three living children in their mother's womb in America, their life has been extinguished before they breathe 
the air of life outside the womb. The most dangerous place a life can be is in the womb of a mother in America unless you're on death row. Being on death row, more dangerous, but the next most dangerous place, I submit, would be in the womb of a mother. That's our land. And then we have a chance to vote. And our votes are so very, very important. Well, I don't know if all this has made any difference. In 2011, a young senator in the U.S. Senate of Texas named Dan Patrick, young radio personality, obviously dangerous, he proposed a bill that passed that said before an abortion can take place, that young mother has to see a sonogram of that little life and hear a heartbeat before abortion can take place. Well, you know, 2011, what difference has that made? Since 2011, 260,073 lives are alive today, primarily because some young mother changed her mind. Let me say up front something. It's also said because of what I've just stated, therefore one out of every three women in America have in all probability had an abortion. And let me say this, if somehow you're here and you had an abortion back there somewhere, some distant yesterday, and you've repented and been forgiven, those females are the strongest advocates for life I know anything about. God has used them to save countless lives because of a poor choice they made. Another group here will be those who voted for life and carried that unexpected, perhaps unwanted life full term, and then they decided as a single parent, if necessary, to bring up that child. That's the second group that is the most passionate spokesman for life. The third group are those who carried the child full term and gave birth, and due to all kinds of circumstances, gave the child up for adoption. That group is a strong group that speaks for life. So we have to understand something that we don't really think about. The most difficult job in the world, arguably, is the calling to be a mother. Now, to be a mom, 
primarily to be successful, you have to put your own desires and agenda on hold, put them in the corner, forget about them, because it takes prayer, tears, sacrifice, time, giving yourself to that child 24-7, at the same time, giving the highest priority to your husband, and that it may be a bigger challenge than all, that is a overwhelming task. A mother has to be skilled at dozens and dozens and dozens of things. It may be the most difficult calling on the face of this earth. I would argue that. Number two, the most unappreciated job on this world is to be a mom. We just take it all for granted. Well, you stayed up all night, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, you had a heartbreaking experience and you went, to, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. We never think about those mothers who by calling just poured themselves into the sons and daughters with energy and with love and compassion and they know how to discipline. I mean, it's the most unappreciated calling perhaps in all of our culture. Third thing. A mother, a mother has the most probably important significant, powerful calling of any other calling on this earth. The hand that rocks the child will end up indirectly controlling the world. When you vote, you're voting a culture of death or a culture of life. Make no mistake about it. Vote every time, regardless of any other thing. Vote life, life, life. Now, I want you to hear something, and then we're going to have a testimony briefly about these ladies you're going to hear. They were in the position of an unexpected, unwanted pregnancy in different degrees, and now they are militant in crisis pregnancy activities and crisis pregnancy centers and in every walk of life in standing up boldly, Christ-like for life, particularly in counseling and in witness and testimony anywhere, anytime, any place. So I want you to hear these witnesses because they're going to approach this in a way that, you know, I've never heard it approached before. You read Psalm 139, it's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible and one of the most powerful descriptions of here is the psalmist speaking for you and me to God, listen, 
speaking for you and me to God about the marvelousness, the supernaturalness of, of birth. You remember when that egg and sperm meet, there is literally a little flash of light when conception takes place. And then as I have mentioned many times, that is the most powerful miracle any of us will ever experience, no matter what else happens, is that moment we are procreators with God. And then there is conceived an it who becomes an I, who is really an I am because the image of God is in that life as he is in every life here. This is seen from the psalmist perspective, our perspective of what happens inside of the givenness of life. He says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. Behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, O Lord. The night is as bright as a day and darkness and light are alike to you. And listen to this. What happens? To every one of us, it's happened. For you, O Lord, formed my inward parts. You were wove in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me. That is the testimony that we could make in our mother's womb. And now we're going to hear the testimony of women speaking to that unwanted, unexpected child in their womb, all mothers, one father, listen. When I was 17 years old, I surrendered a child to adoption. Um, very young, uh, afraid, uh, but knew from the very start uh, what my choice would be, and that choice was life. I never once regretted my choice. Um, to choose life was very important. My parents were wise, and they said, you don't ever cover a mistake with a tragedy. God had his hands on me the whole time, gave me incredible peace, grace, kindness, uh, in a world that was not very kind to pregnant 17-year-olds. I named you Joseph when I found out about you. 
I was excited. And I really loved your dad. <clears throat> you know, when he told me that it would be a shameful situation and his parents would hate us, I just went with it. And I regret it. I'm really sorry. Because I knew you would have been amazing. I love you so much. When I found out about you, mommy had a lot of emotions and I didn't know Jesus like I do now. And so when I found out about you, I knew I needed to tell daddy, but I felt like, what if daddy isn't happy? I couldn't tell how he felt. And mommy had a lot of pride at that time. And so I just kind of didn't really want to deal with it. Not because I don't love you, but because mommy didn't know how to handle her feelings. Um, with your sister, she was unexpected. But when I got pregnant with you, it was intentional. I was overjoyed and so excited when I saw the little the little positive sign on the test. When she found out that she was pregnant with you, she had a lot going on in her life. She was scared. She felt alone. She made a decision based off of her fears and her concerns and her worries and decided to take something that would erase, would remove you out of her body. It was all about me. Selfish ambition, very little consideration for your life when I first found out about you. I was pretty good athlete, and that is what mattered to me. And my future as potential college athlete is what mattered to me. My belly was small, very, very small, but round, and you changed me. And that slight tug of motherly intuition that would pull on me in the mornings. It was supposed to be enough, but my flesh and the enemy kept feeding me lies. After I made the decision not to have you, my life went on for a little while. 
and I lived in a bit of a bubble. I, uh, I got something called an eating disorder, and I had it for 10 more years after I, um, decided not to have you, and, um, I think I was just trying to take my own life, uh, and it took a long time to ever find happiness with myself without you. It wasn't that I didn't want you here. It was that I didn't know how to be a father. I didn't know how to provide. So that really confused me. I didn't know how to show my love. I was used to just shutting down. It's easier to shut down than to express how you feel. And that's what I usually do took my phone and he took his arm and he shoved me backwards and I fell. In the shower, I fell in the shower. And he proceeded to pull out the shotgun. It was in a case. He started to unzip it, so I went... to grab it and keep him from unzipping it but I wasn't fast enough and your sister's watching this whole thing so I ran back in there to where she was waiting to brush her teeth that's all she was waiting to do and I shut all the doors and I took her into the extra part of the bathroom and we sat in there and I called the police and told them what was going on They ended up taking your father to the VA hospital where he had a mental evaluation. There were many nights where I would go to sleep before this had happened, and if we had had an argument, I would wonder, is he going to be mad like this tomorrow? Is he going to hurt us in some way? I don't even know how how to say it. I just... I was afraid to bring you into that scenario, so there were many nights where I laid in bed and wondered if I didn't have you, could I get out of this situation if I didn't have you? What would the future be like? I needed to get you out. I needed to get you out because if you kept growing, I would probably have to keep you. And there's no way I could have kept you. I couldn't let my friends see me pregnant. I couldn't be the pregnant girl at a Catholic school. We gave the doctor the money, and this very not-so-nice doctor threw 
there's a way that doctors can show you pictures of babies and the mommy's belly and he didn't take the time to show me any pictures of you. Maybe had he shown me a picture of you. <laughs> Maybe. There are many mommies that come to our sinners and Thankfully, they have an opportunity, a chance to make a different choice. If you're ever at the center, or if you know of anyone, and you hear that little bell, that's the bell of new life. New life that has chosen not only to keep you but to also invite Jesus into her heart. And there is nothing more exciting than to know that you will be able to grow and that Jesus will also be able to grow in her, in her heart, in her life. And so that bell signifies new life, new beginnings. That was the best decision I've probably ever made. Your dad, He did a complete 180. He dealt with his drug problem that he was dealing with, his anger issues. He got more involved in church. He's actually been the one to push the rest of our family to go join a Sunday school and get more involved with our church. You, you have always been so healthy and happy, and I always ask God that you would be a joy to everyone. I can be dead tired, not be able to do anything, just drained. I'll come home, you'll heal my car, and i open the gate, and I see you just there smiling, waiting for me, man. I feel like I just get, I'm just recharged. I can just, I can climb the wall if you wanted me to. It just, <laughs> it just, it just fills me up. I just love that so much. That's my favorite part, to come home and stick you guys and just see you in the window, just... while to get here, but the Lord is merciful, and you have two little brothers. There are a lot of strong mommies that encourage a lot of ladies to trust God that they are capable of taking care of all the babies he sends. I'm one of those mommies now. I'm one of those ladies that encourages mommies to keep and take care of their babies. Because of you, I hug my boys, your brothers, so tightly. Because of you, I'm telling others about how big God is and how it might seem hard to trust him in that moment, in that hard moment, that it's worth it. Because of you, you're changing mommy's hearts. I'm just so grateful that I get to be a mom now. 
And I can't help but think that if you weren't a part of my life, that I would even know how to be this grateful. And it's much better than just leaving it in a closet in a dark and dirty spot where the devil wants things to be. My life is not meant to be in darkness. It's much better bringing things out into the light and allowing God to heal. And God is our healer. He healed me. I get to be a mom. I get to laugh with your brother. At night, I sing Amazing Grace with him every single night. And you are my sunshine. And you are my sunshine too. I used to be somebody that hated myself. Shame and my testimony includes a massive amount of understanding of God's grace and God's love. And I help young ladies know who they are in Christ. And I get to speak about being in dark places, but that not being the end of your story. It's a purpose for me to tell somebody that they aren't their worst decision. I know there's somebody out there and they're going to question having lived in shame for a long time. And I know that I'm just one person, but in just being one person talking about this and being vulnerable about it and saying that my identity is not in my sin. My identity is not in my past decisions. My identity is in Christ. In the Crisis Pregnancy Center, in the counseling that these ladies and others have done, when a female is there with an unwanted pregnancy, and that female decides for life, all the people in the Crisis Center, they reach over there and they they grab a bell and they just explode on this young female who's decided for life and not for death. And I want you to meet now, if you would, these women who can ring the bell because they've counseled so many young women to life. Welcome them to our stage today. Wait one minute. If you want to stand for life in your life, 
reach under your chair and get your bell and become a part of the healing instrument of life in our world today. Ring your bell if you stand for life all over, balcony, choir, ring your bells, ring your bells, ring your bells for life. Angel wings, that's what that is. Remain standing if you would. We're talking about amazing grace. There's some here who need to experience that amazing grace today, whatever it is. You haven't really received the love of God in Christ and found a brand new life. This is the moment to do it. If you're a Christian and you're looking for a church, then without blinking, without stuttering or waiting or being conservative or holding back. You want a church that stands for God and Christ and life. We'd love to have you in our family. Come as we sing together, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Sing it as some come into our family.